Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. So as you know, we've been working through the book of Genesis, and today we're up to chapter 4, and we're going to read the whole chapter today. Many of you would have heard before this story, but let's read it again. Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, read along. There's some NIV Bibles at the end of the, the rows. If you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, then feel free to keep that one take it home, and I will encourage you to, to read that. And you can follow along on the screen there with me as well. At Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and are driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Ered, and Ered was the father of Mahajiel, and Mahajiel was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron, and Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. 
If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word and inspire us through ways preaching. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Appreciate it. And great to see everyone here today. Um, let's, let's get a move on, shall we, in the word. Um, and uh, Pastor Luke's not here. The saint's lost, so pray for him. Uh, <coughs> there's that. Uh, book of Genesis, we've, this is uh, chapter 4 in our fourth week. We've been looking at the book of beginnings. It's interesting, isn't it, that the book of Genesis comes from the same medical term or scientific term, genetics, uh, DNA, our gene, our gene pool. And theologically, if you're a study or a student of the Bible, you'll know that any theological truth or any Bible doctrine must be grounded and founded in the book of Genesis. If you try to form a teaching, a doctrine, a truth, and it isn't found formed in the book of Genesis, it's probably going to be not truth. And so the book of Genesis, from which we get our genetics, just like you and I, they'll, doctors will often, when they assess you as a person, they'll look at your gene pool. Was this in your mother? Was this in your father? The colour of your eyes, potentially sickness. And they'll say, everything that's in your gene pool will then, in the future, live itself out. Well, it's the same truth, and this is why the book of Genesis is so important as a uh, book in the Bible, because everything in the book of Genesis is being lived out before our very eyes today in the world, and there's so much truth, it is pregnant with meaning, and I've got the challenge of preaching chapter 4. Chapter 1, Pastor Luke's preached, the beginning of the universe, chapter 2, the beginning of the human race, chapter 3, the beginning of sin, and chapter 4... I thought of a B word, I just couldn't find one. Um, It's uh, the fruit of sin. I like what Dr. G. Campbell Morgan says. He says for the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2 is the generations, um, the beginning of the universe and the beginnings. Chapter 3 to 11 is the degeneration of man. And then chapter 12 through to 50, it's the regeneration of man. Uh, It's the regeneration that takes place. Um, What we have before us... uh, covers, let me just say this, the book of Genesis covers about two and a half thousand years. Chapter four and five cover 1500 years. So whenever the Bible slows down enough in uh, these two chapters in particular, and we're only looking at chapter four, um, when it gives us a snapshot of something, it's worth taking a very deep look because being that it covers 1500 years, some 26 verses, it's very important that we take a good look at what it has to say because it's a long period of time. It only stops in that 1,500-year period to give us something that is deeply important. And we'll look at a couple of those deeply important things in a moment. But consider this, Cain and Abel, these two brothers, they are the first boys, men, children born in a sinful world. Think how different it was prior to them. Adam and Eve weren't born, they were created. Could you you imagine in the mind of Adam as he sees Eve get pregnant? No one had been pregnant before. You know, did did he think that she ate too many guavas? Um, 
as your stomach. You know, it's never good if you tell your wife you're putting on weight. Um, you, you know, she's getting bigger. She started eating talcum powder. Not, not that they had it in those days, but, you know, I want to eat CCs or salt and vinegar chips. I don't know, these cravings that ladies can sometimes get. But often when we think of, perhaps in our Sunday school uh, thoughts in, in our mind, we think Cain, um, you know, was the evil one and Abel was the good one. And, you know, you could just see that Cain, you know, as you look at, look at him, he, he wore the leather jacket and had the three-day growth and uh, looked quite nasty. And it's very easy to spot Cain. Where Abel looked like a church kid and he looked uh, prim and proper and, um, you know, due to the influences in their life. Well, there was no influence. There was only four of them. We can't say that Cain took after his father's side and uh, Abel took after his mother's side, you know, because there was no in-laws. Maybe that's what paradise is all about. But, uh, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> thinking of that, I don't know if you've heard the story, we're on the animal theme this morning, the, the uh, couple that drove down the country road and they had driven for several kilometres, they had been arguing with each other and you know if that's ever happened to you in your family after a period of arguing there's silence in the car no one's wanting to talk no one's wanting to concede you know position and as this couple are driving and there's been silence after a heated discussion and argument as they're driving they go past a barnyard and they see a bunch of cows and pigs that's the theme and the wife you know, again, there's been a lot of silence. The wife asks very sarcastically, says, relatives of yours? <laughs> yep, the husband replies, in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> Two sons. It's not the purpose of my message, but I will say this. May it be just an encouragement to every parent that has one son, one daughter that is doing well and the other one that is not. And you beat yourself up and you're perplexed and you say, man, I'm the same parent. I tried to raise my kids the same. I don't understand why Johnny's gone off the rails. I don't understand why so-and-so is choosing the life that he's living. And when I just don't get it. They're doing well and this one's not doing well. It happened in the Garden of Eden happened to great parents that came from the garden, from paradise, both no doubt imparting the same love and care into these kids, yet one does so well and one struggles so badly. It happens. Let's pray, let's trust God in the end. But we move on to some truths and and I just want to talk about a couple of verses primarily in this text where we see the seriousness of sin, we see the sweetness of God and we see the significance of sacrifice. I'll make my three points and I'll close and I'll be very, very quick. Verse 7, if you could draw your mind there with me, it's probably one of the most picturesque verses in the Bible and one that I think, as we have done today, so can so easily just read over quickly. But read it again or allow me to. Where the Lord says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin 
is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Church, we should read that verse and it should grip our hearts. It says, sin is crouching at the door. Now, I don't know if if you can grab the imagery here, so may I try to help? My wife is a practical joker. We lived in Africa for seven years, and from time to time we would have visitors. We didn't live in the the the, uh, the prettiest part of Africa. We went there to serve and, and help the community, and we're in uh, an impoverished, a developing country, a third world country. And for visitors from Australia that would come to this place, because it was a um, a difficult and a very different environment, it would cause visitors to be somewhat frightened by the environment of where they would live and thinking that they might be, you know, beaten up or something. And, and sometimes it was quite funny to see how scared people are holding on to their purses and bags and, you know, driving down the road thinking that somehow at, at any time they may be hijacked or beaten. Well, my wife would play on this sometimes and we had this one friend, he was, he was a, a pastor, a uh, come to visit us, and he was an, 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 an old, older gentleman, and he was living with us in our house just for the two weeks that he stayed. Well, he's gone to the bathroom one night, and it was very late, and we're fellowshipping, so my wife decides to crouch down near the bathroom door, and as he comes out, just to frighten him, like that we were having a run through our house, and we were going to be beaten or something. My goodness, I heard her scream in the, in, in, you know, in the, uh, in the darkness of the hallway, and I heard this poor man just scream. And I tell you what, he, he nearly ran through the wall of the house, absolutely terrified and frightened, while, whilst my wife is laughing and cracking up, thinking it's the funniest thing. And I, that, that gentleman has the shakes today. Uh, and he, he's never forgotten. He, he, he kind of laughs, but it, deep down inside, I, I'm thankful that he didn't have a heart attack that day. Crouching. On that story as well, the crouching. My wife is a practical joker, so be warned if you uh, come to our house. She did it to me at a restaurant. Now, I don't know how you guys get frightened. I'm the kind of reactory frightened person. (laughs) So we're at like a a Sizzler's near Wonturner, and for some reason she decided to scare me as I came out of the bathroom, and, and... I punched her in the face and, and she went back and la- landed on the ground and obviously it wasn't funny and I don't promote family violence, uh, I'm not supporting that, but it happened and it was an accident. That's the best I could do as an example of crouching. The picture here is of a lion or perhaps a cheetah. It is crouching, it is there ready to spring in order to get its prey. It is wanting to make itself look small, but it looms large and it wants to kill. Can I say to every single person here today, that is what sin is wanting to do in all of our lives. And you may be here and you say, sin, sin, that's prehistoric, that's old-fashioned we're living in the 21st century, Ray. We, we don't talk about sin anymore. This is, 
get with the times, man. Be fresh, mate. Come on, buddy. Move on with sin. Sin. That is exactly what sin does. It's hidden from plain sight. It wants to minimalize itself, as it were, in our view, in our sight, so that we somehow intellectually even rationalize it or sort of bring it down. Like 21st century, we don't believe in sin. We don't talk about sin. Can I tell you, sin is real and it is crouching at the door of all of our lives. If you don't believe that, can I tell you today, you are dead meat. You are finished if you do not understand that, if you do not believe that. Now, if you do understand there is a predator crouching at the door, you may be dead meat. You might be dead meat, but if you simply ignore this, you are absolutely dead meat. I think sin is also hidden, not only because we try to justify it, but because of how we often deal with evil activities or man's evil nature. The Apex, Apex Gang is something that has a lot of attention in the media. With the Blessed Collective um, food van, we're out there the other night and thank you to everyone that's been coming along and supporting. Can I encourage more and more of you to get involved and help more hands make uh, work light. So please get involved. One of the evenings of, the, of our service, Tuesdays and Thursday nights, I was talking to a brother and I said, isn't that great? Tonight we fed four of the Apex members. And he looked at me and said, what? Apex? Now, I don't know if he said it because he thought he wanted to get his hands on them. But he couldn't believe that they were there walking through, passing, fed, ministered to by us as a church in the park. You know why that is? Because sometimes when we think of evil activities or sin, we think of evil, that they must be monsters. These people are monsters. Guess what? Often when you talk to these people, one-on-one in particular, they are very much just like you, just like me. And that's why when we think of the evil, the atrocities that some people do, oh, they must be evil people you'd actually be surprised, sadly, what any one of us are capable of doing. Often the people that I deal with, I've only met a few particularly, particularly evil people. But most of them that do terrible, terrible, terrible things, when you talk to them, you realise that person is not much different than I but at a critical time in their life, rather than go this way, they simply went that, that way. Sin is crouching at the door. It sits there, it hides, and it says, I'm not that big, I'm just in the corner, don't worry about me. Can I tell you, sin is never just sitting there. It is always crouching, ready to pounce. Let me move quickly and talk to you about some sins that may be crouching or it looks small but becomes big. What about holding a grudge against somebody? Well, they deserve it. That person, they've done wrong. They need to be told. 
It's not bitterness yet. It's not hatred. I'm just, I'm just a bit, you know, a bit angry because of this. Can I tell you, if you're not careful, that grudge that you hold against that person can begin to lead you to pride and feelings of superiority. Cause you to begin to think that you're better not only than this person, but better than a whole lot of people. And before long, you are starting to be a gossip and speak evil of a lot of people. Because sin, it looks small and it's crouching, but it's wanting to take over. Maybe you've had this experience if you're a single person with dating. Maybe you've gone out with somebody and they turned out to be a nasty individual and they've ripped you off and it's caused you to say, that's it, I'm never dating again. Never going out with anyone, I hate it. I'm never, never going to speak to another boy again. Man, again. One little thing has taken over. This happens often with cultures or nationalities. You hold a grudge or something against somebody of a different race, well, guess what? If you don't deal with that, what can begin to happen is that you will generalise that and you can begin to think or feel ill feelings or ill will towards an entire race of people because it starts small and it grows and becomes big. This is true of fantasies in our life. Now, we could talk about sexual fantasies. This is something that men can often struggle with, pornography. And you think, I'm just a bit lonely at the moment. I'm just a bit sad. I'm a bit alone and this helps me. This this just brings a bit of uh, release. It stirs some passion in me to pursue intimacy. And I'll obviously be sensitive knowing that our kids are here. But can I tell you, you can minimalise it and make it small, but you know what it's probably robbing you of? Pursuing that love and that intimacy with your wife. Because it's so easy to get it on a computer screen and pursue it there, and it's actually hard to pursue intimacy and taking the time to love and care for your wife. Sin crouches and wants to look small when it's big. It could be your body image. You say, oh, well, I'm, I'm just conscious and want to live healthy. Well, that's what you might be saying, but it's crouching and it may be that it's become an idol in your life and you don't get to enjoy chocolate. What a shame. It could be materialism. That you just say, oh, I'm preparing for my future. I'm just concerned. I just want to have enough for the future. But you know what? It looks small and you can rationalise it, but you know what may be happening? You're not enjoying the time today with your children. You're so focused on the future, you're so consumed about tomorrow that you're not living life today. And it's robbing you of the joy, of the pleasure of living your day to day. This is often what sin does. It crouches and it says, I'm small, I'll just sit here. The Bible clearly says it's there waiting and ready to pounce. What about you? What sins do you have in your life? We've all got them. It's funny, uh, I needed a lift at the um, food van the other night and so 
Tamara graciously said, yeah, I'll give you a lift and uh, come back and get your car. And Catalina just said to Tamara, ha, ha, you can have a policeman in the back of your car. You'd better drive properly. <laughs> As if, oh, no, the policeman's watching, you know. Oh. I, I, don't, I said, I haven't given out a traffic ticket for two years. I don't do that stuff anymore. So relax. So then we went through a red light. Um, no, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't um, she didn't do that. She drove very well. But isn't it funny how we all are aware of these little sins? Seriously, though. What sins are in your life that are viewed as little that maybe God could challenge you to get a hold of, to deal with? Because they're in there. Don't generalise them, is what I would say. And secondly, I'd say this. Have enough Christian friends that are real enough to you and close enough to you to see the sins that are hidden from you. Have you ever looked at a group photo? What's the first thing we do when we see a group photo? We, we look for ourselves. And what's often the thing we say when we look at a group photo of ourselves? We say, oh my goodness, look at me. I look terrible. <laughs> we say that, right? And guess what? Everyone else then, because you say that, look at you and they think, no, that's actually how you look. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You go, oh my God, look at the side of... And, and the, you ever seen a picture of the back of your head, men, and the little bald spot or something? And you think, oh, I didn't realise it was there. We've realised it's there and it's been growing for years. You know why that is? When you're walking through the door, you don't often see what's crouching behind it. But somebody on the other side can see. Can I just ask all of us, do you have enough good people in your life that can sometimes get in your face and challenge you? You know, back in the day, you used to have a house with wire fences and we'd have a, a porch. Anyone remember what a porch is? You'd often put a chair there and you'd go out in the porch and watch the sun go down or watch your neighbours and the kids play in the street. Then they invented the roller door. I don't know about you guys. Are you guys like me? We perfectly time it as we come down the street. We know exactly the 25 metre radius that when we get to the point of the street, we can push it. And by the time we get to the foot of our driveway, we perfectly time it. The garage door is just there and we drive in and it's down. It doesn't even need to get to the whole top. <laughs> See, back in the day, big walls were actually called prisons. But now we do it with our own houses. And isn't it sad with the technological age that we live in that we so often are actually disconnected from real people? Even as parents with our kids, oh, you know, I just, I just need 20, 20, 20 minutes of quality time with my kids. You know how long it takes to get 20 minutes of quality time with your kids? Eight hours of quantity time. The only way you can have 20 minutes quality time is having about eight hours of quantity time. Guys, it takes time. You want to you, you really work out what you like? It's, it's not how we turn up to church. It's come and live in my house or let's go camping for one month. We'll see who's ripping each other's eyeballs out by the end of it. You know, mission guys that often go out in groups, you'll find within a few short weeks they don't survive 
two, two to six months, you'll find what was a great launch and a great idea falls apart because these people whom have lived kind of in a bubble and separated, once they are now living in like community, they start to see each other and sin in each other and all of a sudden it falls apart. We need good friends that can speak into our lives and challenge us. I'll move on because I've got three minutes. I want us to see the sweetness of God. Verse 6, just quickly. Can you see how God treats Cain? What we see here is God is a wonderful counsellor, not a cosmic policeman. God comes to Cain when he's depressed because his offering hasn't been accepted and he says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? The first reading in scripture of depression. Now, I won't go into that, but there's some great truths here as it relates to depression in our day and age. God comes to him and says, why are you angry, Cain? I mean, this is, this is the king of kings and the lord of all. This is the creator. He could have come and said, how dare you question my form of offering? How dare you challenge my sacrifices? But he doesn't. He wants Cain to think about why he finds himself where he finds himself. He wants Cain to understand why this is happening to himself. I love that. He's a wonderful counsellor. Verse 13 and 14, the Lord says this. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Here is Cain. He's murdered his brother. And God doesn't say, that's it, I'm going to wipe you out. You're finished because of what you've done to an innocent, a, a good man. God reaches out to this man prior to him committing murder, tries to get his attention, tries to shake him. Why are you angry? Before he commits the sin of murder, he's trying to, try, trying to get his attention in, in, in the clearest possible way. And then when he has sinned and he has murdered, God doesn't just say, I'm wiping my hands of this person. God continues to reach out to Cain. God marks Cain. And notice Cain is not even repentant. All Cain is worried about is the punishment. See, true repentance is is concerned uh, not about the punishment that they will receive. It's concerned about simply doing right, but not Cain. You know what this tells me, and I share it quickly, is that God is even concerned for the unrepentant. Can I say this? If God is concerned about the unrepentant, how much more today is he concerned about you and I who are repentant and are desiring to serve him? Can I say that is a challenge to all of us? 
that the unrepentant in our life, the world cast them out. If you don't do it my way, then get out of here. You know what God says? Though you're not doing it my way, though I can't have you in my presence because of sin, I still love you and I want the best for you. God, help us to do that. And I close with the significance here of the sacrifice. Do you know what the difference between Cain and Abel is here in the offering? I studied this for so many, many days, many hours, and so many theological thoughts on this. Is it an offering? Is it a sacrifice? Because according to Deuteronomy, you link this into the Hebrews chapter 4. It was challenging. All I can say is it doesn't really tell us. But what we do know for sure from Hebrews 11 verse 4 is that Abel offered by faith this sacrifice and Cain did not. Abel gave an offering in faith and faith is always in response to God's grace. Cain did not. See, in chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, as Pastor Luke preached last week, that one of the descendants of Eve would show up and he would not just hate sin and death, but he would wrestle with sin and death struggle with sin and death and although be wounded by sin and death he would triumph and defeat sin and death and that was through the lineage of Eve the the second Adam if you like Jesus Christ hallelujah therefore Abel makes a response an offering a sacrifice in response to salvation and he's saying in effect Hebrews 11 4 says Because you were going to save me, I give you this in response. But Cain, his offering comes not as a response to salvation, but as a means of salvation. Cain brings the fruit of the ground, his produce. He is saying, look what I have done. I am a good person. Look at all of my labor. Look at all of my work. Look how good I am. And then he gets very angry when God doesn't show him favor. And today, how do you know if you're a Cain or if you're an Abel? Well, it's when we come to worship and when we live for Jesus and we're a Christian and we pray, and we seek the Lord, and things don't go well in our life. Do you get angry? If you do, there's evidence that you're a Cain. God, I do, 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 and this is what I get. That's the response of Cain. The response of Abel is, Lord, I am a receiver of the gift that you have given to me. I don't deserve anything. The life I have is a gift from you and I respond to your grace, the grace that you've given to me.